Good evening, everybody. I'm certainly glad to be here with you all. It's always a pleasure to be with members of God's family, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here to, to speak this evening. Uh, this evening, I want to speak and look at true love, true love, and, and I want to look in God's Word today with everybody and see how, uh, if there's any room for compromise in God's definition of love or, and who we are in Him. And my hope is that by the end of tonight, we will see that the answer to that is clearly no. The answer to that is clearly no. Um, in saying that, uh, I do recognize that in our day-to-day life, as we're living, whether we're at work or the grocery store, sometimes we, we do little, little things to compromise, right? We can uh, tell our coworker, hey, if, if you'll do this and I'll do that and we'll make our, our lives easier here at work or... For example, before we came up here, um, I had a, a different shirt on, and Abril said, you're not going to wear that one, you're going to wear this one, and we compromised. So, <laughs> so we, we do, we do little things like that as, as, as uh, we're in the world, but, but seriously, I want us to see how there's is no room for redefining God's Word, a definition of love, and, uh, and who we are in Jesus. And so this evening I want to begin by looking at the story of, of King Solomon. If you would turn with me to 1 Kings, we'll be in chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Now King Solomon was the third king over Israel, the son of King David, and had King David had Solomon with Bathsheba, and he succeeded King David as king over Israel. And where we pick up here in chapter 2, verse 1, he's given him sound advice, the, the most sound advice we can ever receive. And he's telling him here, and he begins, First Kings chapter 2, verse 1. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. All right, so King David's telling Solomon, I'm, my time's up. I'm fixing to be gone. I'm not going to be here to help you. I'm, I'm going. My time's done. I'm done on this earth. I'm fixing to leave you. And I love what he says here. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And he didn't say, learn how to become the fiercest warrior or go make treaties with all these different nations. He said, trust in God and follow him. That's how you're going to do it. Trust in God and follow him, and he's going to take care of you if you do so. And he'll take care of you. <clears throat> now, I want us to focus in verse 4 on that word if. That word if. In verse 4, if your sons take heed. It's conditional. If they do, I will take care of them. It's conditional. If you'll turn with me over to chapter 3, verse 3, we'll stay in 1 Kings. Chapter 3 and verse 3. And it shows that Solomon did that. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3 says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Solomon showed his love to God by following him, by trusting him, saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I love you, and I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to obey you. Later on, we'll read down in verse 14, the Lord has come to, to Solomon the first time he's appeared to Solomon in a dream here in chapter 3, 
And he says, ask it and I'll give it to you. And he asked for a wise and understanding heart. He says that I would be able to discern good from evil and be there for my people. And be there for Israel and judge them. So the Lord says, since you've asked for this, and not for long life. You didn't ask for long life. You didn't ask for, for riches. You didn't ask for your enemies to be delivered to your hand. You're going to have that plus that. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. In chapter 3, verse 14, says, So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. If you do this, I'll be there. If you do this, I'll be there. If you remember who you are in me, remember... The same way your father served me, you served me in the same way. You're going to be all right. Now, Solomon did choose to do this. To this point, he did. And because of it, in chapter 4, verse 20 through 25, we read of the way he was blessed, of the way the nation of Israel was blessed as a result. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20 through 25 says, Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. So Solomon reigned over all kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Now Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, and 100 sheep besides deer, gazelle, roebucks, and fatted owl. For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tifsa even to Gaza, namely over all the kings on this side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan, <coughs> excuse me, as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. This is what they enjoyed. Those provisions we just read for King Solomon's household was for one day, and it was provided. It was there. His people dwelt in safety. There was no enemy knocking on the door. There was nobody coming to, to rule the roost, to overthrow him. They dwelt safely, each man at his own home. They had safety. The Lord blessed him. And we can trust, we can trust God to keep his promises. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to deliver. And we see that over and over in Scripture. Chapter 8, verse 20 in 1 Kings tells us exactly that again. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 20, tells us exactly that. It says, So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised, and I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Solomon knew why he had what he had. Solomon knew that the Lord provided for him. He knew where his trust was, and he knew that's why he enjoyed these, these comforts. Now in chapter 9, in chapter 9, verse 4 through 7, Solomon has prayed to the Lord, and this is the second time God has appeared to Solomon in a dream. Chapter 9, verse 4 through 7 is where we'll pick up. And here we see where he gets the warning again. He gets it again, and what, what will happen? 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4 through 7. Now if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. 
But if, but if you or your sons at all turn from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and this house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. Israel will be a proverb and a byword among all peoples. All right, continue. Continue to trust me. Continue to follow me. And I'll be there. I will continue to be there. But don't. If you turn and you compromise who you are in me and you serve other gods and you serve abominations, it's not going to be good. Calamity and division will follow. If you turn and, follow, and you, if you serve false gods... It's not going to be good for you or Israel. He receives a clear warning. A clear warning right there. So he knows. Solomon knows. Now in the next chapter of the first Kings in, in chapter 10, we read of how the queen, queen of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, queen she, the queen of Sheba comes. Comes. She's, she's heard. She's heard about Solomon and her land. She says, I got to go and find out. I've got to go and see if what I'm hearing is true. I got to see how wise this man is, if he's really this wise. I've got to go confirm for myself. And she brings all these different gifts for him, myrrh and, and spices and gold. And she comes with this great big caravan and she comes and, and Solomon proves her right. Says she, she could not stump him. He answered every question and she says, what I heard is true. What I heard is true. And there in chapter 10, verse 24, it tells us that all the earth, others, Others were curious. Others wanted to know, who is this man? Who is this man that God has put this wisdom in his heart? It says now, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 24 says, Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. People wanted to know. People were curious. You know, when I read that, it sounds a lot like what I see happening here in Plainview, what I see happening in Olson. People are curious. They hear the good things going on. They see the growth. They see the love. They see, and they want to know what's going on, right? People are yearning for the truth. People are yearning for the truth. They want to know about this man we follow. They want to know about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They yearn for him and that peace and salvation that only he can provide. Now today it is on us to share that truth with others, to share it with them, to to let them know that beautiful story of Jesus. To let them know that beautiful story of Jesus. To let them know that they too can be partakers. That they too can be partakers of that. All it takes is obeying Jesus. The same way all it took for Solomon was to obey, the, to obey God. All it takes is to obey Jesus. It's all he wants. To come. To let them know to come. No matter your situation you're in. No matter your circumstance. Just come. Just come and see. Come and see. Come visit. Now, in 1 Kings chapter 11, it takes a turn. It takes a turn. Solomon decides that loving his foreign wives is more important than loving the Lord. He decides that I'm going to cling to these women in love and turn and serve their gods rather than continue the way I have been in serving the Lord. In 1 Kings 11, Verse 2 says, From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. So they had the written law. Solomon had the written law. He knew not to do this. And he did it anyway. 
says, and he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. That's a lot of women pulling at your heart. That's a lot of women to have to please instead of only wanting to please God. And he chose to do the other, to do what was wrong instead of what was right. And it says what happens here in verse 4. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. And as a result, the kingdom was taken from him and given to his servant, just like the Lord had promised. Just like the Lord had promised. He chose to compromise who he was instead of trusting in the Lord and loving the Lord. And we'll see that no matter if you're the king over Israel, you're King Solomon or, or me up here, God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. If you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, we'll read just that. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality or takes a bribe. It tells us exactly who our God is. He is righteous and just. He is righteous and just, and he can't be bribed. He can't bribe God to turn to, to judge a specific way. He's, he's fair. He's fair, and he's got to be, and he's the only one who can be. And if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35, We'll see where it tells us that in the New Covenant. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35. And here Peter is in the household of Cornelius, and he's speaking to them. He's speaking to the household of Cornelius. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. God is no respecter of persons. He only wants our hearts to, for us to love him and show our love by obeying him. And to hold fast to his word. We all, hold, we all have the, the, can hold fast to the same word. We all obey the same gospel. God is fair. He alone is righteous. He alone is righteous, and when we love God and follow Him and obey His plan of salvation, we're accepted by Him. And at the end of the day, that's what we should be diligent for and striving for, right? Is to be a people prepared, to be a people prepared, to be accepted by Him. In Psalm 40, verse 4, Psalm 40, Psalm 40 verse 4, In Psalm of David says, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Same message, right? Trust in God. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And that man will be blessed. Trust that he will take care of us as long as we obey him. As long as we obey him and we live for him, live in such a way that everything we do, we're going to glorify him. We're always going to glorify Him, and that's what we seek in everything we do. And not respect the proud. Don't puff ourselves up, right? Don't be arrogant. Don't think that we're wise, wiser than God. But trust in His Word to lead our life, to lead our life, that good will come from it, that we will be okay, and He will take care of us. Nor such, aside as turn, nor such as turn aside to lies, 
that we would be able to, to be diligent and, and not turn aside to fables, to not believe in everything we hear, but we're going to trust in his word and his word alone. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 verse 6. The Apostle Paul gives us that same instruction how God is righteous. God alone can exact righteous judgment. He shows no partiality, he's no respecter of persons. Romans chapter 2, we start in verse 6 through 11. Who were rendered to each one according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, excuse me, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Right? It's clear the contrast of the choices. Either we're going to choose to follow Him and serve Him and please Him, or we're going to choose to be self-seeking and, and say, well, I know this is wrong. Sometimes I know this is wrong and it's not right according to God's Word, but you know what? It pleases me. It pleases me. And self-seeking, indignation and wrath. There's a contrast there. Excuse me. Now, we cannot redefine God's definition of this love. This is what he tells us it is. This is what he tells us we're to do, and this is what we have to do. We cannot compromise that. We cannot compromise who we are in that. And like we'll read a little later, we definitely cannot label anything contrary to that as love, an acceptance of that as love. And we'll read that here, here, here in a sec. If you would, in saying this, in saying that, I want us to think about, well, what about when we're confronted with sin? What about when we're confronted having to deal with sin, whether it's with ourselves, whether it's with someone in God's family, or whether it's a stranger who's allowed you into their house to share that gospel with them? What are we, what are we to do? How are we to face it? How are we to face it? If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it gives us the answer. The Word of God provides the answer in Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Right? Even with ourselves, you have to love yourself and forgive yourself. You have to love yourself and forgive yourself. And, and with others, even if it is something we know is contrary to God's Word, to speak the truth in love to be loving to them, to let them know, but never compromising, never compromising the truth. And we're not told to be ugly, hateful, and mean. Not told to be ugly, hateful, and mean, or, or to lord over, so to speak. Well, I'm not doing that, and you are, so you're wrong, right? Not to do that, but to speak the truth in love and share God's truth in love, right? But to do it in a way that would, refret, that, that, excuse me, that would reflect Christ's love for us. That, you know, even if you are with somebody and you're trying to help them, 
And even if in that moment the truth is rejected, to not be discouraged, but rather, but rather pray that, Lord willing, another opportunity would arise because they would remember and they would give, give you the opportunity to come back and sit down and say, I remember that you didn't compromise and tell me everything's going to be all right, just keep doing what you're doing, but that you shared the truth and they want to hear it again and that they would rather obey, that they would rather obey the truth. Genuine, being genuine and honest still goes a long way today. Being genuine and honest still goes a long way today. It does. You know, when I think of this, I think of that speak the truth in love. You know, I've had the great blessing and opportunity to be able to sit down with a bunch of people who my dad had been studying with. If y'all don't know, I'm pretty sure everybody here knows my father, but if not, he was a joker also. He was evangelist in Olton, and, uh, and I've kind of taken over that, that, that position over there. And, and I've been, I have the opportunity, like I said, to sit down with those same people he had been sitting with. And, and each one is the same thing, how the impact was. It, he never shared that what we're doing is going to be okay. Just keep doing what you're doing and things will turn. No, but that he loved them and he shared the truth and he was there. He just shared the truth. And that's what we can do. We can just share the truth. Just be there for people. Just tell them, Jesus came to die for you and me. Jesus came to die for you and me that we would just come to him and follow him. We would just come to him and follow him, right? We can never go wrong as long as we preach Jesus to people. We can never go wrong as long as we preach Jesus to people. Now, if you'll turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 through 5, we get our warning. We get our warning of of what we're to endure and, and what we're to be aware of, right? In verse 2, Timothy, or Paul tells Timothy to preach the word, right? Share the truth in love. And in verse 3, it says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Right? It's a warning. Don't be like those people who don't care for this doctrine, for this Bible, for these words that we have. Don't do, don't be wary of them there because they're going to come, but don't be like that. Trust in God's word. Trust that when we hear his voice, it's for only for our better, to better our life. Right? That even as saints, we must, be, we must be looking to resist that. Even as saints in God's kingdom. You know, when I... <clears throat> Verse 5, sounds a lot like what we read in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, right? Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Follow the Lord. Fulfill your ministry. Be watchful. Endure afflictions. Be watchful in all things. Do the work of an evangelist. Sounds a lot like we read back in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. If you would, turn with me to John chapter 12, verse 48. We'll see what Jesus has to say about, about that, about this word, about the word of God. John chapter 12, verse 48. John 12, verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Right, God, God, excuse me. God shows no partiality. 
God shows no partiality. Either we accept God's word or we reject it. He's fair. He's fair. It is what, whether we, whether we accept it or reject it, it's what will judge everyone. It's what will judge everyone. On that final day, only God is righteous and just. We cannot redefine God's truth. We cannot fit it in a way that would make sin okay. We can't do that. But rather that we would rejoice in the knowledge of it and knowing that we have it. And knowing that we have it. These words lead to eternal life is what these words lead to. Only that we would hear Jesus' voice and follow him. And follow him all the way. Follow him all the way. Now one thing I want to I wanna touch briefly on. And I don't know, y'all may have heard of this, seen it in the news, watched it on the news, but there's a term in in our society today, the cancel culture. I don't know, I don't know if y'all are familiar with it, but you know, it's a it's a very sneaky way, a very sneaky way of of being told that people are being held accountable. So that people are being held accountable that they're not going to do bad when in fact it's just muting people and shunning them. Even if even if it's uh, in accordance with God's will with God's truth and, and muting them and, and, uh, and doing away with them, so to speak, making sure that they cannot do anything that they would be forgotten. That they would be forgotten. Hence the word cancel, right? And I'll tell you one thing. No matter how wise people think, think they are, no matter, no matter how, how hard they try, you cannot cancel God. You cannot cancel God. You can't do it. The Word of God tells us that. But, you know, they, they would have us believe that, well, we know best, right? Accept this, because that's love. This is love, right? Even if it, knowing it's wrong, we know it's wrong, but accept it. And if you don't, well, then you're hateful. You're bigoted, and you're short-sighted. And you don't love. And you don't love. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 tells us, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's who we serve. That's who we serve. And there's no canceling that. There's no redefining that. There's no room to compromise in that. If you would turn with me to to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8. Now, I want to look at an example here in Scripture. Paul's talking to these Christians at Corinth, and, and he's, giving, he's telling them they're rejoicing in, in their sin, and he's telling them, you're not, it's not what you're going to do. That's not what, you're, it's not what I taught you. You can't sin and rejoice in it and call it love. Chapter 5, verse 2 says, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. There's sexual immorality that was going on in the church at Corinth, and they were, they were telling people that they were right for doing it. They were exalting these people for doing it. And he's telling them, he's telling them, you cannot label that as love. You cannot label that as love. In verse 8 of chapter 5 says, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's telling that malice, that wickedness, that iniquity that you're rejoicing in, that's not it, but rather the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. 
And again, if you'll turn with me to first, if you'll turn with me to First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse six. And in this chapter, Paul describes what true love is. He describes the kind of love a disciple of Christ is going to have. And in chapter, first, chapter 13, verse 6, he says, Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. True love does not rejoice in iniquity, does not rejoice in sin, but rejoices in the truth. But rejoices in the truth. And on verse 1 he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but not have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have all these gifts that I can do, though I, I have this, if I don't have love, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. We've got to have love. And the, the final verse of this chapter, chapter 13, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians, says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Right? Faith and hope are important. They're not to be put aside or forgotten. They're not to just be thrown away. They, faith and hope play a part. But love, the greatest of these three, right? Love never fails. True love never fails. If you would turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to read exactly the kind of love that our Father in heaven had for us. The kind of love our Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had for us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 through 23 tells us exactly of that love. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Christ came that we would be reconciled to the Father. Only His blood can accomplish that. That's what it's telling us here. His blood was shed that we would have that relationship with our Father in heaven. That's what He came to accomplish. And He did. And He did. Excuse me, in verse 23, and are not moved away from of the gospel, which you heard, right? That gospel, that beautiful gospel message, like Acts chapter 10, verse 34 to 35 told us. Every nation, not just Israel no more, every nation, every man on earth can obey this gospel and be a partaker, can know that salvation, can have that relationship with the Father in heaven, right? When we put that old man to death, those wicked works, when we put that old man to death and we're buried in that watery grave, we're buried in that watery grave and we arise a new creation to continue in him, to follow him, to rise up and say, God, I love you, I trust you, and I'm going to show my love by keeping your word and obeying you because I love you and I'm so happy for what you did for me. So happy for what you did for me. One of the last places in Scripture I want to look at this evening is in Second John. Second John, verse 1 through 3. Second John, verse 1 through 3. 
says the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. In truth and love. In truth and love. I pray that that we choose to abide in that truth and that love all our days on this earth that we would have forever with Jesus when the day comes. We will be a people prepared that we would choose to serve Him and obey Him. That's what I have prepared this evening. I hope you found it as encouraging and as helpful as I have. Uh, if there's anybody in the audience tonight who has not known that love, who, who would like to, and take care of that and have that relationship with God through the Son and to come to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Or if there's a saint in his kingdom here tonight who's, who's struggling in that walk, struggling knowing that love, whatever it is you need, I pray you come and sit on the front pew as we stand and sing the song of invitation.